Good morning, and with the help you get from Dan Burns, ASE Certified Technician at Lloyd's Automotive on beautiful Grand Avenue in St. Paul, he's going to help you out, especially if you do have to take your vehicle in to your favorite dealer, your favorite shop for a little bit of service. He might give you an idea of what could be uh, ailing that car, truck, or van. Good morning, Dan. Good morning. Nice to see you again. Good to be here. We were visiting that beautiful Grand Avenue. And uh, had chance whether you were changing oil. Uh, Tony and I went and had some breakfast. Oh, nice! Yeah, yeah. coffee. That's Lots a great, of options. A lot of options on Grand Avenue yeah. in Saint Paul. Just yeah. a great avenue. Yeah, we purposely built our <laughs> waiting room a little bit small because I think people can have better options to uh, go somewhere yeah, and have a cup a of coffee idea. or a yeah. snack or yeah. whatever. And you don't need to. As hard as we try, yeah. our uh, the shop is still. Smells like a car shop. So. Of course. Yeah. yeah as it should. That's, yeah. that's the way it is. <laughs> yeah. Well, you got great people that work at the front desk, too. Oh, thank that, you. They really, really are good folks. They're all good folks. Yeah. But if you uh, have a problem with your vehicle, you want to call Dan today or text Dan, let me give you the people who are doing both, as a matter of fact, right now. 651-989-9226. That's the phone number. Or if it's easier, send Dan a text like some folks are doing, 81807. Uh, we've got some other text messages, Dan, that were kind of left over from uh, last week. In fact, the last couple of weeks, I think. Uh, here's a Saab 9000 leaking antifreeze through the air vent that provides heat to the back seat. The antifreeze ends up on the back seat floor. Any ideas? Well, there, I don't know for sure, but there must be a, a little heater core back there or a, I think probably more likely a, a connection to a heater core probably. Uh, that's probably leaking. And uh, But, yeah, if, if there's coolant dripping, there has to be coolant flow back there. So it would require taking that center console apart and uh, seeing where the heater core is. Where I would start, actually, is look it up in the manual or in, in, uh, online and find out where exactly that is and, and figure out how to gain access to it. But I'm sure that it uh, it's probably a connection that... That is leaking there. Uh, Texter wants to know, is it possible to add an aftermarket auto lift gate to a 2013 Chevy Traverse? Uh, I don't, uh, I've never heard of it. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised that there is a way if you, if you search that online. And, uh, and it's, you know, I, I don't know how complicated it would be based on how the uh, original equipment lift gate is, uh, is uh, engineered. I would think it'd be a little bit complicated to, uh, Sounds complicated. to try and replace or try and put a, a uh, an aftermarket one in. Yeah, makes sense. All right, let's go to the phones. Folks have been waiting there. Let's see who's first. Uh, Pete in Lakeville. Good morning, Pete. You're out with Dan. Yes, good morning, Denny and Dan. Um, I have a question about it. My wife has a 99 Honda Prelude with just under 100,000 miles, and it's her baby. But for several years now, when it gets cold, the brake light comes on on the dash. And as the car is driven, it goes out. Uh, There's been no problem with the brakes. And we just recently had a brake flush, and it still does it on cold days. And we're just wondering uh, what could possibly be the problem. Well, on an older car like that, I think, the only two things that can make that brake light come on are the if it's the red brake light is the um, the parking brake uh, assembly and there's a switch 
in there that causes mm. that to come on, or if the brake fluid is low and there's a switch that causes that to come on, either of which could be affected by the cold weather. And so, uh, you know, I probably what I would do is disconnect one or both of them, and uh, the switches, either disconnect them or uh, run a jumper wire between them to shut the light off and then see if that solves the problem and then uh, plug one back in and, and see if, if see if it happens again. But, but uh, yeah, I think bypass those two switches and see if that doesn't solve the problem. And I'm, I'm sure it will. I'm just not sure which one it Would is. Would you guess that it's safe to drive, though? Oh, I'm sure it's safe to okay. drive. Uh, it just had the, had the brake fluid flush, so I think more likely it's probably the parking brake switch that's oh. out of adjustment a little bit or, or the parking brake's not releasing completely um, and uh, causing the light to come on. Interesting. You add a little bit of temperature. You add cold or hot weather to anything, and you don't think that that anything moves, but it absolutely does. The, you know, metal moves, plastic moves, it all moves when you heat or cool it. Yeah, so it point. changes things. Thanks for calling, Pete. Appreciate it. Pete uh, leaves that line open at 651-989-9226. Scott, next up here from Ham Lake. Scott, you're on CCO. Good morning. Good morning. I got a 2012 Chevy Silverado, and uh, uh, the other day when I was going down the road, I turned the defrosters on. And I couldn't control uh, the heat on the defrosters. It just got hotter and hotter and hotter. Wanted to know what uh, that might be. Well, on a 2012, the, those blend doors, the temperature control is controlled by uh, doors in the heater box that are um, controlled by little electric servo motors. And either your little electric servo motor is is no longer working it's it's stuck in the full hot position or the door itself has broken inside there and is is uh not allowing the servo motor to actually move the blend door but at any rate uh if i was to or if you were to take it into your shop and have them uh check the computer controls on your heating and air they can watch all those doors. They can watch the servo motors, see if they're they're moving. And in fact, there, if if something is not moving properly, there's a good chance that there's a uh, code uh, stored in there, a, a diagnostic code stored in there that they can follow, and it'll give them the information as to to what's not working. But uh, I've seen both. Both are actually pretty common, where either the motor will fail or the uh, the door itself will be broken. You should hope for the motor. That's what you want. That's, uh, that's that's easy to fix. It's on the outside of that heater box. If it's the if it the door itself is actually broken, that's inside the heater box, and that gets pretty expensive to repair. Mm, not good. Yeah. Okay. Good luck, Scott. Before we break, Al is calling in from Lionel Lakes, I believe. Uh, hi, Al. What what's your question, please? Yeah, I got a question on a '09 Mercury Milan. <clears throat> I bought it. Um, and it was probably from an auction car. I got it from the dealer and, and it had a shake when it got up to 40, 50 and it felt like the tires and, and it was an all wheel drive and they have two different sets of tires on it. So I figured it was that and they're brand new tires and brand new brakes. So I thought go for it. And, and, uh, when my auto guy was looking at when I took it in, he said, well, the U joint is bad and that's probably what the shake is. And uh, the front, then when they were changing that, they said the front um, arms, the front row were bad. And I thought, replace that because it was for my daughter. And then, and then I got three new tires to match 
the one brand new tire on there because I heard all wheel drive has to be all the same tires and it still was shaking. So then he said the drive shaft was out of balance and I took that out and said, yep, that was way out of balance and put that back in and it was better. But when it gets up to 50 and 60, it now it still shakes some again. Yeah. Did they put a new drive shaft in or just have it balanced? They had it balanced. Yeah. Um, I, I think I, I think the wiser thing would have probably been to actually replace that drive shaft because that's where, as you were telling this story, that's my first thought is there's something wrong with the drive shaft in the drive train. When we test drive a car and there's a shake, the if it's in the drive shaft versus a wheel, it's much faster. And a professional driving the car would be able to tell you, well, that's uh, – Either it's coming from the wheel, you know, it's a wheel speed or it's a drivetrain speed. And, you know, if it's a drivetrain, and, and it sounds like that's what they're chasing is, is drivetrain. So I, th- I think that's it. But but I think as the, the fact that it changed it, made it better, um, it, it's not always just that the drive shaft is out of balance. There can also be, you know, it, it, there's a whole bunch of moving parts that move very, very fast. And if one of those moving parts has a little glitch in it, uh, and it doesn't take much because as you're going fast, it really, or it really accentuates the shake. But at any rate, I think that you probably should ask them if it's not a good idea to replace that drive shaft instead of just having it rebalanced. Okay. That's an answer. Good luck, Al. Thank you. Uh, Sharon, you'll be next. We have to take a break. Quick break. We'll be right back with more of CCO's Car Care Show. And welcome back to our car care show. Denny Long here with Dan Burns from Lloyd's Automotive, which is located exactly where in Grand? We are at 982 Grand Avenue, right between Lexington and Victoria on Grand Avenue, right just very close to the governor's mansion. Well, that is true. In fact, we yeah. work on their cars. We've you do? Cars for them. All right. Yeah. yeah. So anyway. Keep the government running in Keep that Keep the case. government running. That's right. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, you can find us on the web at lloydsautomotive.net, L-L-O-Y-D-S, lloydsautomotive.net. Or give us a call this morning. Jim will be there at 651-228-1316. Very good. 651-989-9226. There's a line open for your car care question. Or Dan. Otherwise, uh, send a text like some folks are doing, 81807. Text came in earlier, Dan, and I know we've touched on this over the years, but uh, the listener wants you to explain the difference between uh, gasoline. Summer blends, winter blends. What's the difference? Well, I I don't know exactly. I, I mean, I do. I have, I have known exactly, but I don't remember anymore. But it has to do with the the amount of alcohol, of ethanol that they put into our gas. And in Minnesota, it's, I thought I was going to say it's mandated, but I guess it's not mandated because you can buy gas without uh, ethanol That's in true. it. If yes. you look around and as we've heard from our listeners, I guess it's actually pretty readily available, the uh, the gas without alcohol right. or without ethanol. Without ethanol. But at any rate, they put it in because, uh, for, well, for some several reasons. One is it's far, certainly farm friendly to do that, to use our corn product for uh, for uh, alcohol or, or alcohol, but also it's much cheaper. It's much less expensive to blend some alcohol into the gas, um, and it works just you know it works just fine. It 
uh, the alcohol does not have quite as much energy as petroleum gasoline. But the difference between summer and winter is that in the winter, they put a little bit more in. Oh. Uh, In the summer heat, there can be a problem with, uh, especially on older cars, where the alcohol will will actually boil Mm. and cause a, a, you know, a vapor problem in the fuel system. Now, on newer cars and on most newer cars, the fuel pressure is so high that it really doesn't, you know, there's we'll not it. much chance of it boiling because you're raising the boiling point. But but in hot weather, it did have an effect. So uh, in the winter, they put more alcohol in than in the summertime. Does that help keep it from, you know, some folks used to put in heat yeah. in their uh, gas tanks. Some people still do. They? Oh, really? Do you don't really have to do that <laughs> no. with the ethanol? It's it's for sure double dipping. It's okay. exactly the same thing that they would uh, be adding in. And the reason that you would put alcohol in your gas back in the old days was that in case there was any moisture in your tank or in the gas that you bought from the from the gas station, the uh, alcohol will surround that, will mix with the water, and it'll actually... Uh, cause it burn through the system. Oh, okay. Burn through the car. And so it, it takes it. the water out. Interesting. And uh, But nowadays there's alcohol in there already, so you don't really need to add any more don't alcohol add. to it. Back to the phones we go. Let's see who's been waiting. Neil has been waiting there in Inver Grove. Neil, you're on the CCO with Dan. Um, I have a 98 Ford Ranger with 139,000 miles on it. And when I start the car, when I go out in the morning and start the car, it starts instantly like normal cars do. Then I drive about six miles, and I leave it parked for two hours. When I come out, it grinds for two or three seconds, and you don't know if it's going to start or not. And then it kind of it kind of gets started. But uh, you can see it, it. I don't know how to say it, but it runs a little goofy for a second or two it chugs it's it starts like it flo- like it's flooded i'll bet and if you give well, that, it i i would bet that it when it goes to start that second time it seems like it's flooded a little bit is that true you have to put, i guess that i don't know because that's what i was wondering should i pump the gas or not pump the gas or it actually when it starts it seems like it is flooded because it kind of uh i don't know how to say it it takes it a while to level out a little yeah bit. right Yes. Well, that's uh, the short-term answer. Is yes, you should when at, when you're starting it that second time, uh, put your foot on the gas and press it just a little bit, and I'll, and this will actually be a test uh, that you can tell your mechanic about. Uh, tell him that if you put your foot on the gas and go to start it, it starts just fine. And by putting your foot on the gas, what you're really doing, you're not giving it more gas. What you're really doing is giving it more air. And uh, by giving it more air, it'll it'll start uh, much better. Your mechanic will want to know that because I think what's probably wrong with it, it, is, it has a, a ruptured fuel pressure regulator. And when you start the car the first time in the morning, it's been sitting long enough that all the gas in the system has evaporated and it starts just fine. When you let it sit for just 10 or minutes or less than an hour – and go to restart it, that gas has leaked uh, through the fuel pressure regulator into the uh, um, intake part, the air part of the vehicle, and when you go to start it, it really is flooded. There's too much gas there. So uh, you need to get that little leak fixed, uh, and it's a relatively inexpensive thing to do. But that 
that that would be a great test if you could tell your mechanic that yes, it makes a difference when I get when I just put my foot on the throttle uh, halfway, it starts right up. Uh, he'd want to know that. All right. Thank you very much. We have to take a quick break. We have more callers to take care of, so those folks on the line don't go away, and we have more text messages uh, to answer as well. And good morning. Welcome back to CCO's Car Care Show. Danny Long here with Dan Burns from Lloyd's Automotive in St. Paul, answering your questions as usual by phone and by text, and we have both, Dan. So let's uh, put you back to work here. Who has been waiting? It will be Ken, who's calling from uh, Wyoming. Go ahead, Ken. Thank you. Hi, Ken, or hi, Dan. Um, I'm replacing a motor in a 2008 HHR. I unfortunately lost a timing chain in it. I picked up a really good low-mile donor from another 2008 HHR. Now, mine was a 2.2. I'm replacing it with a 2.4, and I'm using all the computer modules from the 2.4 donor car. Do you foresee any problems that I'm going to have with the programming and whatnot there no i think that uh no uh i'm i'm <laughs> i my brain is slow of course i like the slower than it used to be so it takes me a little <laughs> bit of time to process all that because there's a lot going on there by mm-hmm. switching uh um modules Motor modules yep. yeah you know but that's that's old enough the fact that it's an hhr that um I, I don't know that all of the compu- all of the computers on the car are if they run on the same data bus line. Correct. Um, and I, you, you, if they do, you're going to have trouble. If they don't, and I don't think they do, then the powertrain uh, computer will stand alone, and uh, and I think you'll probably be just fine. Uh, all right, that sounds that. really good. Yeah. The other, the only other thing is, is it does it all bolt up correctly? That you know, does it does it mount into the transmission and and are you putting the transmission into or just the just the engine? Just the motor on that, and you know, I have the other motor out now. I'm looking at both of them; they're identical except for the variable timing chain that's on the 2.4. Right. So that's why I'm going with the computer from the donor also. Yeah. The other thing that I would recommend <clears throat> recommend that you do is, you know, do a, do a uh, web search on that because there's a whole bunch of chat lines out there on people that have done this before or attempted to do it before, and you'll get some great advice from there. I'm just, you know, I don't know either of those specifically or well enough to know that, oh, yeah, that will work. They're, they're, it's perfect. And, it's you know, some people might even say, hey, it's a great idea that 2.4 is a better motor anyway, so... Uh, but I don't know all that, so I I would uh, do a little bit more research on the web and see what you find about that. But uh, but I bet I bet uh, I think it's old enough that you'll be fine. All right, very good. Thanks, Ken. Let's see who's next. Uh, Paul is calling from West St. Paul, I believe. Paul, you're on CCO with Dan. Good morning, Dan and Denny. Um, Dan, I got a 2013 GMC pickup, and I'm was driving to my daughter's home this morning, coming up 35E. And all of a sudden, the bells and whistles start going off, saying my oil pressure was low, and to stop the engine, and I got an analog gauge, and sure enough, it's on zero. So I pull over, shut the truck off, crawl underneath the truck, the oil filter's dry, the drain plug's dry, and there's oil in the engine. I mean, it's on the dipstick, you know, where it should be. Mm-hmm. Jump back in the truck, start it up. Everything seems fine. The oil pressure gauge goes up where it should be. Continue on my destination, 
you know, I pulled on city streets getting close to my daughter's home, and then as the truck is driving slower, you know, the oil pressure gauge goes down, and then now the the engine light came on, mm-hmm. you know, just a little icon. So I was just wondering your thoughts on what might be going on here. Well, <clears throat> what I hope it is for you is that it's a, a sensor problem, that it's not reading accurately, which is possible. Um the process for us would be, if you, if it was at our shop, would be that we would remove the electric, electronic sensor that screwed into the side of the engine block and put in a mechanical gauge, and then do the same drive and see if the pressure tr- truly is going away. If the pressure truly is going away, then we've uh, then we've got some mechanical work in the engine to. To figure out, but uh, if the if the pressure is not going away, and I, one question I should ask you: Did you hear any noise from the engine when there was I, no oil pressure? Not everything sounds normal. Sounds great, yeah. So, the, and that's good news. Uh, so, I think more likely you've got a bad uh, sensor, something that's not reading correctly. But, but to be safe, you still want to put a mechanical gauge on it, take it for a drive, be sure that the fuel pressure or the oil pressure is staying good. If it is then as long as you have that oil pressure sensor out, simply replace it, put a new one in, see if that takes care of it. Uh, and it probably will. If it doesn't, then uh, you've got something going on in the dash that uh, needs some attention. But uh, the gauge, you know, that sensor is cheap enough that if you do have good pressure, and uh, and I think you probably do, then uh, just put a new sensor in and see if that takes care of it. I bet it will. All right. Good luck, Paul. Thank you. Uh, I don't want to forget our textures either, Dan. Here is one, a 2008 caravan, 60,000 miles. He, he or she is telling us uh, an error code, P0404, every 500 miles resets. Uh, could it be EGR valve? Uh, it, it's a one-year-old EGR valve. Could that be the cause? Probably not. Um, that, more, I, I, I'm, I'm not sure exactly what that code stands for, but I, I would guess it's EGR flow. And if it is EGR flow, then more likely what's happened is the tube, that the, the part or the tubes that the EGR uh, air flows through have gotten partially restricted with carbon and so forth, and that probably needs to be cleaned out. Uh-huh. And uh, maybe the EGR took care of it last time and got you some more time uh, by changing that. But I, I think probably what's happening is you have a poor flow of air through those tubes, and that's uh, the sensor's not happy with that. And so because the sensor's not happy with that, it thinks EGR is not opening at all, and uh, it, it may very well be. So, But at any rate, take the EGR off, see if it's full of carbon in there. If it is, it needs to all be cleaned out of there. Okay. Let's see. Here's another text. Uh, <coughs> have a uh, 2005 F-150, about 115,000 miles. The four-wheel drive abruptly stopped working. The light comes on, but it does not engage. Any suggestions? Yeah, there's a little electric motor down on the, uh, well, there's a couple of them, actually, on the transfer case and on the front differential. And I would guess one of those motors has failed. They're very common. It's a very common uh, uh, failure on those Fords. So uh, check those. It's, it's, if you take it into your shop, it's an easy, easy thing, thing to check to see if it's actually moving when you shift it into four-wheel drive, um, it's an electric motor. And if it's not moving, then you uh, need to replace it, and that'll take care of it for you. Okay. 
Here's a text. I know we have to run pretty quickly here. Uh, 2001 Toyota Prius Hybrid, 328,000 miles. Wow. Isn't that amazing? Drives fine. Then while driving, engine appears to rev up and won't calm down until I pull over and shut off the engine. After that, it's fine for a while. I think we had this question before. Yeah, and I don't know what I said before, but this time I'll say I think you have a computer control problem. Something in the computer system is causing it to do that. And uh, if you take it into your shop, there'll be some uh, data stored in there that uh, will give them some information as to where the problem is and what to do about it. All right, for those uh, uh, texters that did not get in today, Dan, I'll, again, save uh, those for next week. That sounds great. Now, for those that want to get over there to Lloyd's and get some business taken care of with their vehicle, how do we do that? Well, come on over. We are at 982 Grand Avenue in St. Paul, right between Lexington and Victoria. You can find us on the web at lloydsautomotive.net, L-L-O-Y-D-S, lloydsautomotive.net, or uh, give us a call, 651 Two two eight one three one six. Good deal. You're going to be back with us next week. I will be. Yeah. Good deal. All right. Have a good week, Dan. Thank you, Dan Burns from Lloyd's Automotive on beautiful Grand Avenue in St. Paul.